This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03. You made it to Friday afternoon. It's October 14th. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us on the Noon Business Hour. Presented by the Village of Bedford Park, I'm Rob Hart. Some of the big banks have released their quarterly earnings reports. We'll cover that in our next segment. But right now, we'll check the reports on consumer sentiment and spending for the last month. We're joined by Gus Fauché, Chief Economist, PNC Financial Services in Pittsburgh. Gus, thanks for joining us today. Uh, Let's talk about that University of Michigan consumer sentiment ticking up in the month of October uh, off of some uh, recessionary lows just a couple of months ago. Where are we right now as far as consumer sentiment is concerned? That is it still at that recessionary level? Um, Yeah, it is still quite low right now. So we see that consumers are concerned about inflation. Uh, You know, they're feeling a little bit better about current conditions, but they're concerned about the future. and, And that's weighing on overall sentiment, particularly with the high energy prices that we've seen recently. And then the respondents to this survey also uh, anticipated that uh, inflation will ease in the next couple of years. When it comes to consumer sentiment surveys and businesses uh, setting prices, who leads and who follows? Um, I, I think it's more that uh, consumers follow what businesses are doing. So, uh, you know, they, they see what's going on at the, at the gas pump. They see what's going on at the grocery store. So they take their lead from that. I think consumers do understand that the, the Federal Reserve is looking to bring inflation down, and they appear confident that the Fed will succeed at that, but it is going to take some time. And, you know, consumers are still dealing with high inflation in October 2022. Consumer spending was relatively flat in the month of September and below expectations. Uh, What message uh, does that September report uh, send? Well, if you take out food, if you take out gas and autos, it looked a little bit better. But I think what we're seeing is, is consumers have been spending a lot over the past couple of years uh, with high inflation. They are eating into their savings somewhat, uh, and so they're turning a little bit more cautious. Uh, as you know, the, as job growth slows and as we continue to see high inflation in the U.S. economy, and what, and, and we talk about consumer spending, what sort of categories uh, are we referring to here? Are these items that uh, people uh, bought during the pandemic more or less out of boredom? Um, yeah, that's some of it. Some of it, but it's also things like food. It's restaurant sales. Uh, it is. Um, you know, uh, online sales, all that kind of stuff. So it's a pretty broad-based measure, but I do think that consumers did buy a lot during the pandemic. Uh, you know, they don't need as many goods, and I think what they'll be spending more on in 2023 is services rather than goods, so travel, those types of things. Does this suggest that consumers are pulling back or they're just merely taking a breather or they're just being a little more choosy about what they spend their money on given the fact that prices are higher compared to a year ago? 
Um, you know, it, it may be that they're taking a breather, but we'll have to see. I mean, there's still a lot of positives for consumer spending. We still have very good job growth. We still have solid wage growth. Uh, the question is, is cons- are going, consumers going to turn uh, even more cautious, cut back on their spending? And that could be enough to tip the economy into recession sometime in mid-2023. I was just going to ask you, based on these numbers we see today, especially the fact that consumers continue to spend despite their misgivings, Uh, Does this look like an economy that's teetering on the precipice of a recession? No, no, I don't think we are. I think, you know, with good job growth, with wage gains, uh, with businesses continuing to expand, they're seeing strong demand. I don't think we're close to recession now. Uh, But the situation could look different six months from now, depending on how consumers are feeling and what's going on with inflation. Gus Fauché, Chief Economist, PNC Financial Services, based in Pittsburgh. Thank you for joining us this afternoon. Coming up, we'll take a look at the quarterly earnings reported by several big banks. Credit, debit, and totally free. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. A host of big banks are out with quarterly earnings, and joining us to help sift through the pile is Dick Beauvais, financial strategist with the New York-based Odeon Capital Group. Uh, Dick, thanks for joining us today. J.P. Morgan Chase, Morgan Stanley, Citigroup, Wells Fargo. Uh, The results vary uh, depending on the business, but uh, taken together, do they paint a picture of where the economy is headed? Unfortunately, I don't think so. I think, uh, you know, the market, you know, obviously likes what it's are in the earnings. What the market sees is that loan volumes were very strong, that uh, net interest margins were up, that net interest income was unusually strong. And as a result, investors are buying the stock. I, I actually see something different. I see that loan losses are up and are likely to continue to rise. I also see that the common equity of these companies are declining because their assets are overstated. So what I'm looking at, I think, is uh, what the future is going to be for the bank earnings. I don't think that loan volume can remain as strong. I think it's going to weaken appreciably. I think that the net interest margin is going to be hurt because the cost of deposits are going to finally, after years and years, start to rise. I think that the loan loss provisions are telling you that these companies do do expect a recession, unlike your prior speaker. And I think that uh, you know the decline in common equity is frightening because it means that at some point, not only do these companies have to stop buying back their stock, but they may have to actually issue stock. So even though the market was very happy with what it saw today, I think what it's looking at is the rearview mirror. I think if it looked at these numbers closely and what's going to happen in the future, they would not be buying these stocks at this moment. It does look like uh, the banks are uh, squirreling away some money for colder weather as far as building up their reserves uh, to cover even more loan losses uh, in the future. Uh, On the interest side of the equation, though, uh, how much of a moneymaker is that for the big banks? It's actually a big problem for the banks, right? In other words, 95% of a bank's assets are financial in nature, which means as interest rates go up, the value of these assets plummet. And that's why the common equity is going down because they have to keep writing down the securities they own. They have to write down the loans that they own. They have to write down all the financial assets that they own. So you're in this situation where you see profits being reported by the banks, but instead of the 
common equity going up as the profits are added to the balance sheet, the common equity is going down because the big increase in interest rates is killing the value of their assets. Now, historically, if you were to say over the next few quarters, you're going to see common equity continue to decline because interest rates are going up, and you're going to see loan losses continue to increase because the loan loss reserves are being set up to, to, to handle that, bank stocks would get hit pretty hard. So, you know, they're not being hit today because people are not looking at those two facts. Interest rates are not benefiting the bank the way people think they are. They're increasing earnings, but they're killing assets more than they're increasing earnings, so common equity is going down. You don't buy into that type of an environment. And then when it comes to mergers and acquisitions, it seems like you have two different reads on the situation, one from Morgan Stanley and one from Citigroup. Uh, Morgan Stanley says uh, its business was affected greatly by kind of a a slowdown in merger activity in their particular business. But Citigroup says there are plenty of deals in the pipeline. Uh, With uh, increased borrowing costs, where do you see merger and acquisition activity going? These deals aren't coming out of the pipeline, right? These deals are going to stay in the pipeline until they die because as interest rates go up and stock prices come down, the cost of the merger gets too hard to go forward with. In addition to which, the CEO of the company that supposedly is the buyer is going to basically say, why should I take this risk of buying a company in what could be a recession when I've got to worry about my business. So the pipeline may be chock full, but the spigot is turned off. And Morgan Stanley's you know, performance, Goldman Sachs, well, Goldman Sachs hasn't reported yet, but JP Morgan's performance would tell you that the M&A business is not doing well and it's not going to do well until you start to get lower rates and a stronger economy. Dick Beauvais, financial strategist for the New York-based Odeon Capital Group. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Coming up next, a look at how city cruise lines plan to operate during the fall and winter. Cashing in with conversation. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Taking a sightseeing or dining cruise on the Chicago River or Lake Michigan is a great way to experience the city. But you may be surprised to know it's not just limited to spring and summer. Here to tell us more is Grace Fuller, general manager of City Cruises based in Chicago. Grace, thanks for joining us today. What's your sailing schedule uh, like once the, uh, the, the, the seasons click over from summer into fall and winter? Well, thank you for having me. Um, we cruise all year round, and we are one of the only operators that does that here in Chicago. So we are ready for you. We have temperature-controlled decks, and we love to cruise in the winter. And, of course, uh, as temperatures uh, get uh, below freezing, uh, one problem on the Chicago River especially is ice. And uh, how do uh, city cruises uh, maintain their operations uh, with ice on the Chicago River? There is a couple things that we do. One of the things that we do is we have bubblers that are placed strategically around the boat to prevent ice from clinging to the side of the boat. And the Chicago River, actually, the fire department comes through frequently and breaks up the ice. And it's it's very rare that we wouldn't be able to cruise. Um, when that situation does occur, we do take excellent care of our guests by providing them with a cruise at a later date of their choice as well as an open bar to make up for the fact that we can't cruise. But that is a rare occasion for us. 
Ah, the two sweetest words in the English language, Grace. Uh, open bar makes uh, makes a lot of things better. And then um, when it, maybe this is just my memory of the way winters are in Chicago, but recently uh, November and December are rather mild. You don't have uh, severe cold snaps, and really you don't have much in the way of heavy snowstorms. I mean, there is uh, the rare outlier until after January. Does that help you as far as uh, getting more people on boats? It does. Actually, New Year's Eve is our one of our busiest nights of the year. We have all of our boats going out on New Year's Eve this year, and we are excited to welcome guests aboard for a really cool party on the water. And one of the most unique things about our venue is the the view is obviously incredible with the fireworks and everything else. But when it's cold and crisp like that, the view you get from the boat is just crystal clear, stunning, beautiful view of our wonderful city. What are some of your busy times uh, during the fall and winter months? Well, right now our Sea Dog Cruises are going out with our Haunted Cruises, so that's a really popular event on the river. Um, We also have, like I said, our New Year's Eve cruises, but all throughout the holidays, Thanksgiving included, we have cruises going out for holiday parties, holiday events, um, get-togethers with your office. We are ready and we've got the space to fill those parties and your needs. And then what's, I mean, how much uh, lost time do you have to make up for is uh, because of uh, COVID, uh, the impact of COVID? We had a great year. This was a really good year. We were welcomed back. Um, our guests wanted to be with us. We wanted them back. And it was a, a great year. It's getting stronger and stronger. The bookings for the holidays are filling up. Um, 2023 looks very promising right now. So really, it's it's been a, a great year. Great story this year for us. Grace Fuller, General Manager of City Cruises in Chicago. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. A new federal grand jury indictment reveals a new conspiracy count against former Illinois House Speaker Michael Madigan. Strong reaction being heard from former President Trump to the House January 6th committee's request to have him testify under oath. It's Entrepreneur Friday on the Noon Business Hour. We'll check out a West Loop restaurant that combines two very different cuisines. Relocation plans are announced for the Chicago headquarters of U.S. Soccer. WBBM Business, the markets are hot lower. The Dow is down 293 points. Uh, The NASDAQ is down 246. The S&P 500 is down 66, uh, substantially lower. We have 52 degrees right now under partly sunny skies, topping out at 58. It's 1231. And topping our news at the half hour, a new conspiracy count has been leveled against former Illinois House Speaker Michael Madigan by the U.S. Attorney's Office for allegedly arranging payments to be made by a political ally as part of an alleged corruption scheme involving AT&T Illinois. The superseding indictment unsealed today includes the prior charges of racketeering and bribery that Madigan was originally hit with earlier in the year. This comes after federal prosecutors announced charges against the former president of AT&T Illinois. AT&T has agreed to pay a 
$23 million fine for trying to illegally sway Madigan. Former President Trump has strong words for House investigators who now want to hear from him under oath. Former President Donald Trump put out several Thursday night posts on his social media platform with various insults aimed at the working members of the House January 6th committee. He also promised a response to its vote to issue him a subpoena. CBS News legal analyst Lori Levinson. It's unclear what he will do about that. He may try to stall, delay, appeal. But legally, he can be called before a congressional committee. As Gerald Ford was when he was president, he testified. Tom Fody, CBS News, Washington. The Noon Business Hour continues at 1232, presented by the Village of Bedford Park. Stocks have given up early session gains and are now trading lower. Joining us with the latest in what's moving Wall Street is Hugh Johnson, Chairman and Chief Investment Officer of Hugh Johnson Economics, based in Albany. Hugh, thanks for joining us today. Uh, what uh, caused uh, investors to uh, give up on trying to sustain yesterday's rally? You know, it's hard to say, but I think the overriding concern is there's a look at, of course, the inflation numbers, consumer price index numbers, which were a little bit stronger than expected, and that's the September number. And I think what those indicated or seem to imply is that the Federal Reserve might become even more aggressive than we think they uh, currently are. You know, they've been talking about increasing the federal funds rate by 75 basis points in November, 50 basis points in December and maybe 25 basis points in February, and that'd be the terminal rate. They're now talking about, uh, or at least there's some discussion about a higher terminal rate. It might go even as high as 5%, and that's coming from some of the members of the Open Market Committee, of course, who are important to making that decision. So I think it's real concern about the Federal Reserve is going to get even tougher than they already are. Uh, That comes from their statements, and that has real deep concerns for Wall Street. Obviously, what that means is higher, longer-term interest rates and also less upside for stock prices. So it really focuses on the Federal Reserve. So today's uh, sell-off, in in your estimation, is entirely uh, interest rate related. Um, Any concern about our economic trajectory, especially based on the uh, four bank earnings reports we got today? Yeah, there are real concerns about the earnings numbers that we're seeing and that we're starting to see the impact of uh, the increases in interest rates that we've already seen. And so we're starting to see earnings numbers that are coming in a little bit on the disappointing side. And you see that in particular in the financial sector of the economy and a lot of things going wrong in the financial sector. I wouldn't say going wrong, but certainly not as good as we'd like to see them. And that would be so it's at the top of the list would be the investment banking business that's being uh, conducted by the major banks, and that's been a big disappointment. So the earnings numbers coming in a little bit less than expected, and that's one of the big worries uh, that's ongoing in Wall Street. And of course, uh, there's a concern that we're going to hit a, a hard landing or a recession. Uh, maybe in the current quarter, it'll start uh, first and second quarters of next year, in which case earnings will be even worse than uh, a little bit uh, less than uh, we, we currently are forecasting. So Concern about earnings because of uh, worries about the economy. The strange thing when you look inside uh, the Consumer Price Index report and the PPI report uh, earlier this week is that they kind of fly in the face of expectations as far as individual sectors are concerned, that there are particular categories in which there has been an easing of prices or even uh, disinflation in particular sectors, and you're kind of setting yourself up for, oh, maybe this might be the month we turn a corner, and then uh, the CPI print and the PPI print comes out, and the answer is unambiguous no. Uh, what's the discrepancy between the two? 
You know, it, you're right. Uh, the the numbers are not nearly as bad as the markets seem to indicate, at least the way they indicate today. Of course, they had a good day yesterday, but nevertheless, markets seem to be suggesting that the uh, numbers are not that good, and that the Federal Reserve is going to lean harder towards restraint. But if you if you look particularly at the producer price index numbers, and I think it's also true to some extent, a lesser extent of the consumer price index, on a month-by-month basis, the year-over-year numbers are actually coming down. The problem is, is they're not coming down fast enough, and it's not broad-based enough, to be honest with you. Um, so it's not coming down fast enough to really satisfy the Federal Reserve that wants the rate of inflation, consumer inflation, to decline from a 6 to 8% year-over-year level down to 2%. That's pretty ambitious. And so it's really that things are getting better, a little bit better, uh, small step by small step, but they're not getting better fast enough to satisfy the Federal Reserve. And therefore, we get very hawkish statements coming from members of the Open Market Committee that are going to make the decision. So it's really not fast enough. My favorite story this year is in the Wall Street Journal about the, uh, the group of several hundred people who work for the Commerce Department who go out every month into stores and just write down prices. And that's where the CPI comes from in some respects. So you think the Federal Reserve is the most powerful entity in the world as far as the economy is concerned. It's actually this group of people that go shopping every month. Yeah, that's really interesting. And that was a big change that was made under the leadership of Mike Boskin, who was the chairman of the Council of Economic Advisors under the Bush administration. And he made those changes to make really the consumer price index reflect what's really going on in the world. I think he did a wonderful job. But, you know, quite frankly, you know, obviously they're going out, they're testing the market, they're seeing what the pricing uh, is really going on. And so we get the numbers that we're getting. And to be honest with you, I think they're doing the right thing, but we need better numbers. Hugh Johnson, Chairman and Chief Investment Officer with Hugh Johnson Economics based in Albany, New York. Coming up next, an Entrepreneur Friday, combining Japanese and Latin cuisine in the West Loop. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. On this Entrepreneur Friday, we'll introduce you to a West Loop restaurant that brings together Japanese and Latin cuisines for a unique dining experience. Entrepreneur Friday, sponsored by Industrious. We welcome in Nils Westland, founder and CEO of Como Restaurant at 738 West Randolph in Chicago. Nils, thanks for joining us today. Uh, you are the uh, owner and founder of Salud Hospitality, and uh, this is uh, one of your uh, latest uh, projects in the city. And how's it been going so far? Well, now that we are out of the uh, pandemic, everything is going absolutely fantastic. And thanks for having me. And uh, tell us a little bit about uh, Como. This was originally uh, an attempt to uh, bring together uh, Japanese and Latin cuisine. Is that project still ongoing or has it has it evolved in one direction or the other? Yes, uh, it's a good question. We have... Uh, a couple of different things happening within our four walls in the space there. We have upstairs, which is ESCO, and it's kind of more of our nightlife component of it. And so that's kind of the Latin thing because I grew up most of my life in, well, a large portion of my life as I'm getting older now. I always tended to say that, but a large portion of my life in uh, Colombia and in Cartagena. So uh, the Latin component is, is something that we feature upstairs, and it's something I've had within that space at 738 West Randolph for about nearly five years now. But after pandemic, we wanted to kind of refresh a, a very great old friend of mine, Maku Chan, executive chef Maku Chan, who we have, and he's our partner as well, is one of the most incredible um, 
all things sushi and Japanese cuisine uh, chefs in the city, in my opinion. And so we revamped the space, remodeled, and have been open nearly a year now um, on the first floor as Como, which is the Japanese component within the space. And do you find that uh, customers uh, see this as a, a seamless experience uh, between the, uh, the the sushi restaurant downstairs with the star chef and then going upstairs to the uh, Colombian-flavored uh, night spot? <laughs> yes. I mean, it's definitely taken... Originally, I had a Ronero, which was uh, a Latin American rum bar, and it was a, a seamless kind of a transition. Um, now with this, we have a little bit of... Um, you know, a separation, but I think that people really appreciate it because it's kind of, kind of a one-stop shop for all your entertainment needs. You can come in, have an amazing meal, um, whether you choose to do more of our a la carte style, which we have, which is a little bit more casual, or you go into our tasting room where we feature, we have this kind of eight course, um, talk experience, which talk is our reservation system that you book, uh, this tasting menu on and, and you kind of have this incredible ride that Maku takes you takes you through um and then we are in, inviting our guests to go upstairs for the uh late night experience if they if they so choose to and the most recent thing is that we are also continuing on and we are building a, a japanese whiskey den and dessert bar in the basement uh which will be opening in about six weeks and that will be called shogun and so that'll be something that will be an option if you don't want to go into the um kind of livelier um, experience upstairs and you want to continue into more of a, like a speakeasy, um, within that same fitting concept in the, in the Japanese culture, um, downstairs, we'll, we'll be featuring this new component within our, within our space. Now, Nils, it's Friday and it's five o'clock somewhere. So I have to ask this question. Uh, obviously, <laughs> uh, you can have a culinary experience, uh, Japanese downstairs, uh, Colombian upstairs, but has there, is has there been any discussion or is this possible that you could also have kind of like a tasting experience all the way up through the building? Uh, you start with Suntory in the basement, you go through Saki, and then uh, third floor, uh, a Latin, uh, you know, Latin flavored drinks. Is that something that's possible? I mean, I think yeah, we might have to bring you on board as a consultant because it's a great idea. Oh, you couldn't afford me, Nils. That's uh, that's what I that's what I like to say. But uh, I mean, how much? I like you know, how importantly is the you know when 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 you talk to your customers, what's more important? Is yep. it the food experience? Is it the drink experience? Is it making sure that one pairs well with the other? Yeah, I think it's all of the above. I think that when people go out, um, there's so many great options, and there's so many incredible restaurants and nightlife experiences and everything in Chicago. Um, and I've been doing this for quite some time in Chicago and just kind of wanting to have this overall um, really, you know, we're, we're selling smiles and we just want to take people on a journey and have them come out and kind of forget about all the different uh, worries they have in their life. And then coming through a pandemic, that was quite a challenge um, doing that. But um, we've been able to come through it. And I think that people people want the whole package. And that's kind of what we're our mission statement. And that's what we're, we, we aim to do with Salud is, you know, get people all together and nurture their souls, so to speak, you know.
Nils Westland, founder and CEO of Como Restaurant in Chicago and the West Loop. Still to come, the Chicago headquarters for U.S. soccer is on the move. An economy of words. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. U.S. soccer is moving its headquarters to downtown Chicago and putting its historic South Loop soccer house up for sale. Here to talk about the move is Danny Ecker, reporter, Crane Chicago Business. Danny, thanks for joining us today. Before we talk about the uh, historical value of the property they are vacating. Uh, this has to be a shot in the arm to the uh, commercial real estate market downtown. Oh, absolutely. When you have uh, a new tenant that is really just entering the traditional downtown office market, uh, that's that's extremely welcome news for downtown office landlords these days, which are dealing with record high vacancy and a lot of companies trying to cut back on their office space. So, Great news for uh, for this particular landlord at 303 East Wacker, uh, and and really for all landlords who are you know have a little bit of less space to compete with now. And it sounds like uh, you know don't uh, shed a tear for the uh, Kimball House, which is where the soccer house is today, the Prairie Avenue uh, mansion that used to be in one of Chicago's luxury districts a long time ago. Uh, chances are that historic property is probably going to find a buyer as well. Uh, yeah, you would think so. I mean, this is uh, it's two refurbished mansions that were connected into one basically uh, back in the 40s. I mean, both these mansions date back to the, uh, the 1870s for one and 1880s for the other. So it's a very cool historic property and uh, U.S. soccer. This is known as the U.S. Soccer House commonly, and it's been the home of the U.S. Soccer Federation operations since 1991. Uh, but like many uh, companies, I think the, the Federation was looking at uh, wanting to upgrade their office space to help encourage people to be working in person rather than from home. And so they moved into a much more modern office space here, about 33,000 square foot space at 303 Swacker again. And they decided they're going to put this up for sale, this uh, soccer house. So we'll see what it, it what becomes of it. I'm not sure whether this will still function as some sort of uh, office type of operations or museum or something different, but uh, certainly uh, you'll have some interested parties. Would it be feasible to turn it back into a residence? Um, I, I'm sure you could conceive that. I mean, this is an area that is, uh, it's at 18th and Prairie, so it's, you know, not far from McCormick Place. Uh, you got a park nearby. I mean, the South Loop residential scene has expanded in a really big way, so um, you know, certainly you could see that becoming a residential uh, property again, but I, I'm certain it would need uh, quite a bit of work to, to convert it back into that use. Danny Ecker, reporter, Crane Chicago Business. Thanks for joining us to talk about the uh, the uh, U.S. Soccer Federation moving from the soccer house in the South Loop to a, a new uh, location and office building along the Chicago River. If you missed any part of today's noon business hour, we'll have the replay podcast available shortly at WBBMNewsRadio.com and the Odyssey app. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. It's better over here. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. 
Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. A left 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months.